In this episode, we'll be speaking with volunteer Vivian Sebastian. Vivian has been volunteering with the chapter since 2003 and has been primarily involved on granting wishes for our Spanish-speaking community. She's also assisted at multiple fundraising events. Here is Vivian Sebastian. Vivian, welcome to the Wish Out podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. It's good to see you. Uh, how are you holding up with everything during this period of time of the pandemic and you know quarantine? How has that been for you and your family? Well, it's it's been hard. You know, we we when it started, we were in Florida and we ended up staying an extra month. That mm -hmm. was unplanned because things in New York were so bad. But um, we're back here since May, and it's been an adjustment. Uh, we have a daughter in the city. We didn't see her until July because um, we wanted to wait until things were better. Um, it's very hard because we have our son and our two granddaughters in L.A., cross country. So we usually travel there every two, three months. So it's been very, very hard to be away from them. Wow. But we've devised ways to connect and to keep them entertained and, you know, just I'm thankful that we have the technology to, to keep in touch. That's so true. I mean, this has been, uh, for those that are listening in, you know, obviously we're doing this podcast, it's all audio, but, you know, I have the pleasure of being also on a Zoom call with, with Vivian, so I'm able to see her. And, um, and that's really the way that we've been able to accomplish a lot of our work on a day-to-day -day here at Make Wish Lips exactly. Valley is, you know, having these, you know, virtual video conferences and, um, and connecting in some way, you know, to put a face to, you know, an email pretty much, because that's kind of how it's been. It's all been through email and phone calls and video calls. And that's how we've been able to get through everything. I was just going to say, I've done two wishes virtually, which is a whole new experience too, but I'm so glad we can do it. Yeah. And actually that's one of the things I definitely want to talk to you about, but before we go there, you know, share a little bit with our listeners uh, about yourself, you know, how, um, who are you, you know, where are you from? You know, how did you get connected with Make-A-Wish? Share a little bit about you. So I was born in Santiago, Chile, and um, I left Chile when I was 20 years old in 1969 because I married my husband, who at the time was living in Canada. We had met in Chile, but he had moved to Canada. So I moved to Canada, and for the next 30 years, we lived in seven different places. We came to New York in 1980, and I have been here ever since. And my mother, who lived in Israel, and she passed away only two years ago, when she lived in Chile, she did a lot of volunteer work. She was a volunteer with the Red Cross, did a lot of different things. So at the time, um, one of her last visits, I was working in the Bronx school system. I'm an occupational therapist. And I was working mostly with Hispanic kids. And I really, really liked being connected with the Hispanic community. And I was telling my mom that I felt, besides the kids, that they were getting older and my job, I felt like I needed something more. She said, why don't you volunteer for the Red Cross? And I said, well, the Red Cross, you go to hurricanes and disasters, what can I do? And she said, why don't you ask them? So I started volunteering with them. And as I was doing that, a friend of mine opened the Office of Hispanic Affairs in Westchester County, Marta Lopez. Um, we started talking about why is it that there's services that the Hispanic community cannot access? And 
So she mentioned, you know, one of the latest thing I heard about is Make-A-Wish is looking for Spanish-speaking volunteers. I said, Make-A-Wish, I've been always interested in them. I actually contacted them for some training, but at the time they were offering, I think, one training a year, and I had just missed it. So she said, call them now because they're looking for people who speak Spanish. Do you know who, wh when your anniversary date is, when you started with Make-A-Wish? In September. Your orientation? Yes, yeah, September 16th, 2003. So happy 17th anniversary <laughs> volunteering you. with us. Thank you. I got a very nice email from Make-A-Wish congratulating me. I thought that was very thoughtful. Yeah, absolutely. We always like recognizing our volunteers, especially on their anniversary day of when they started with the chapter is one yeah. of the things we've we've done for, for many years. I mean, you mentioned something really important that I don't want to forget um, talking about, which is, you know, when working with Spanish speaking families, specifically as a wish granting volunteer, um, you know, a lot of times families have some hesitation with um, the process. Um, they, you know, sometimes are not always very responsive up front. Um, and a lot of that has to do with language barrier, because you mentioned, you know, that Spanish speaking volunteers are needed, but also, you know, not just being, speaking Spanish, but someone that is bilingual, truly fluent in both English and, and Spanish is important when doing the type of work that we're doing, because you couldn't have just a Spanish speaking volunteer work on wishes um, if they're not able to communicate with the staff, because there's not many staff members that speak Spanish, right? Absolutely. I found from my first wish, and I've done mostly Spanish-speaking wishes, there is a totally different component to the wish that involves educating the family about what Make-A-Wish is. Um, part of the big issue is that in the Hispanic families, people don't expect that they'll be approached to be given something without having to sing to pay for it or to give something back. Mm -hmm. So when you offer them that you're offering their kid a wish when they're going through some really difficult times, they don't trust that. They don't know why you're doing it, what is their reason why you're doing it. And they're very reluctant to fill out paperwork sometimes because they don't know what you're gonna use the paperwork for. So it takes a lot of explanation and familiarize them with what Make-A-Wish is. And they are so appreciative. I mean, I know every family is appreciative, but I think within the Hispanic community, there's much more than just receiving a wish. You're, you're paying attention to them. You're giving them something. You're making their life easier. You're understanding what they're going through. And you're there for them to walk them through the wish every step of the way. Yes. And one thing I want to add to that is, you know, for our listeners that are maybe first hearing about this process of what granting a wish is, you know, when we first assign volunteers, you know, based on the family's language and what they speak at home, we try our best to pair, partner them up with a wish team with at least one member of that team that does speak that same language when possible. And Vivian is an example of one of our Spanish speaking volunteers that we pair up many times with English speaking volunteers that do not speak the language at all. And yet you are still able to work collaboratively as a team to grant that wish. Vivian, in your experience, explain a little bit about what happens with gathering that information with the family and then what happens afterwards with um, taking that to the office. When you first come to visit them, um, you have to establish a sense of trust and that what you're gonna do is really what you're gonna do. 
that I always tell them there is a wish house that they're welcome to visit because I represent the organization, but they don't see what the organization is. And the organization is not um, something that people see. It's not a building that it's in the middle of somewhere. You know, if you want to go visit the wish house, it's in a specific place. Um, and once they start answering the questions, they realize that you're really concentrating on their child. So the moment they see that you're there to really focus on the child, and that's the main goal for you, they immediately relax and they start smiling because they feel that's the moment that they really trust that you're there to give their kid a wish. You're not there for anything else. How has that been for you kind of transitioning from those in-person wish visits to now having that additional layer of now let's figure out a way of how can we communicate with this family virtually? Um, Do they have the tools necessary to be able to do that? Have you found any kind of challenges that has come up for you as a volunteer working with our Spanish-speaking families? Yeah, I think the first time before we actually make the visit, we call them on the phone. So you've made that initial contact, but until they see your face and, and that you show at the house. And like you said before, you always go with a partner. And most times I've gone with a non-Spanish speaking partner who says to me, what am I going to say there? I don't even know. I don't understand. And I said, well, most of the kids speak English. So you concentrate on the kid while I concentrate with the family. And that's what happens. While, while the, the family is watching you explain to them, they see how your partner is interacting with the child. And that's also a very good feeling for them. But actually, I think doing the call virtually is better for the family. Because so I think the virtual meeting, the initial meeting, has been easier for the family. I find that they're more comfortable because you're not in their physical space, but they get a chance to meet you. The challenge is all the steps that go after because all the information that you need now, you cannot go in person and ask them to sign this paper. You know, sometimes it's complicated. Even if the paperwork is in Spanish, some, some families don't have the language, the basic language, to understand the reading part. So many times I've had to sit with the family and read it with them and show it exactly what they need to sign. Or some other times, um, you know, they don't understand the process because the paperwork can be very overwhelming. So that's a challenge now that we have to do it virtually. But, you know, mm-hmm. we figure out ways. That's not a problem. But that's great that you mentioned that because for our listeners that don't have that insight because they haven't been trained as a volunteer or as a wish granting volunteer to go into the homes and visit the kids and on the whole process that happens with training and getting volunteers ready for that process, you know, let's kind of list it out for them. One, dealing with the family directly, you're completing paperwork in Spanish. Two, you're translating with your partner what's being said many times. Three, you then are taking that paperwork many times and having them either sign it in person, you know, in, on the English forms, and then also translating over all the information into English. So there's multiple things happening while at the same time dealing with the family and trying to be present in the moment with them to ensure that they feel that you're really listening, that, to feel that they, they're being heard. So you're trying to manage all of those pieces while still trying to get to the heart of the child's wish. 
So I wanted to put it in perspective because many people don't realize all those additional layers that it takes outside of just getting the wish, but then on top of that, having a language challenge and barrier that sometimes it's something that we have to work through, but you are one of those volunteers that's able to really finesse your way through that. Have you found that through the years, you found some little tricks or anything that maybe you can share with people? I think the most important thing is that, that you're relaxed because if they pick up that you're anxious, you know, they're going to get anxious. And I think at first I found it so overwhelming, you know, now that you put it in context, it sounds like so much does happen. But when you're in it, you don't have time to think about it. Mm-hmm. And many times you find that information as you're making your visit, that it's crucial information that you have to really be very conscious about. Um, families share personal information. They share certain aspects of the wish that they cannot be a part of for whatever reason. Um, their fears, you know, some people are afraid to travel. Um, and some of our families have never traveled before. Exactly. You know, uh, sometimes they've come to this country, you know, in a lot of different ways without actually going on an airplane. So that's another reality that we, that as a Spanish speaking volunteer, you're trying to give the family a sense of security and trust. And, and that what they're sharing with you is something that, you know, is, is really being thought of as part of the wish process for, so that we understand how to best provide an experience for their child. And I think right. that's one of those things you definitely have a gift for is being, is allowing that family to share their fears with you, um, building that quick interpersonal relationship, but at the same time, getting the work done that needs to get done for us to even get to the point of considering that wish. Right. Yeah. I think, I think what has worked for me is that I tell the families that I explained to them that part of the process is to fill out a lot of paperwork, but we're going to do it at their pace and that we're going to try to finish it in that first visit. But at times, if it doesn't work, we can always schedule a second visit or complete it later. And if you find that the parents are getting a little too overwhelmed, then you kind of do small talk with them. You know, like I would say, Focus on the paperwork, but also realize that you have a family sitting in front of you that probably have never been through a process like this, never. And you're asking them to give you information that it might be too personal for them. Like when you ask them their age, you know, it's funny because here in the States, it's not a big deal. You know, what's your date of birth? Well, in the Hispanic community, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, many times people feel that's a private part of their lives. Um, or, you know, if you ask them other when questions. There's a, there's a part of the, the process where we also ask them for their driver's license information in the event that we may potentially be able to have a rental car for them for their, if okay. it's a, you know, a wish that requires that, right? right? So sometimes that brings up a conversation, you exactly. know, a conversation that isn't necessarily one that's so linear. That's like, well, here's my driver's license. Like in, in most other visits where, of course, here's my driver's license. Here's my passport information. No problem. Exactly. You know, here we have an additional layer where sometimes that, you know, it, it, it creates some, some level of anxiety a lot of times with the Spanish speaking families. Not every family, but some, you know, um, that does 
require some additional um, explanation, some additional, um, I guess, over explaining of stuff, you know, just to make sure that they understand the reasons why we're asking for it, these that, things. I think that's what it is to explain why we need all that information. Because the moment they feel that you're being honest and that you're, you're doing it to help them with the wish, then they relax about it. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the best ways I can explain the feeling of um, fulfillment, you know, when you leave that first visit, you feel that the family is looking forward to hearing more. You leave and you don't feel like, oh, I'm so glad they left already. But you tell them, I'll be in touch, you know, if you have any questions. And, and you feel like, great, you know, they feel good about it. So if that's the feeling that you get, you feel like you've done your job. That's so true. And, and kind of switching gears a little bit. So one of the unique things that you are working on right now or recently worked on was for a rush wish, which was for one of our wish kids, Sophia. Now, for those that are listening in, we have a lot of different terms at Make-A-Wish. And one of those terms that we use uh, within our Make-A-Wish world is a rush wish. So rush wishes tend to be wishes that uh, based on the referral source, when the child is referred to us, they share with us that the child may be in a situation that we need to work a lot quicker to grant this type of wish, whether it's because they have a surgery coming up that may put their life at risk, or it could be a certain treatment schedule that if we don't grant a wish before the treatment begins, it may be months or a year until they're actually able to experience a wish. So that time frame of when we can grant a wish is a lot smaller. So for rush wishes, like the one you granted recently for Sophia, you know, how is, how is it for you Um, with all the challenges we just discussed about working on Spanish speaking wishes. And then on top of that, you have a time constraint. How does that share a little bit about that experience as a volunteer working on those types of wishes? It was, it was a very difficult experience because the child was in the hospital when we were doing, when we started doing the wish. I was lucky enough to be paired with Ashlyn, who's a wish coordinator. So instead of having a partner and then having to communicate with a wish coordinator, she and I were working together. So it made it a lot easier to work on a rush wish. And I think it was the way to go in this case. Mm-hmm. But it felt very invasive to talk to the mother about a wish when her daughter was in the hospital and things were very up and down. We didn't know what was going to happen. and. She requested the social worker to be present during our virtual call because she was not, this is what we were talking about before, that they're not feeling comfortable sometimes with Mm -hmm. an organization. So the social worker was instrumental in helping us complete the paperwork. The mother was wonderful. She gave us a lot of time while we completed the paperwork. Um, We figured out what the wish was. And... The wish was the girl, Sophia, loved the Disney characters. And mom wanted for her to have a party at a park with Disney characters. And um, the problem was pandemic and parks don't allow parties outdoors. And we switched the location for the wish 
we were going to do it at a restaurant outside, very small group of people. Then the restaurant was too far away from where they lived. Sophia had been discharged, but basically they had stopped her treatment and she had a very short lifespan. And we didn't know. And the day that she came home, actually, was the day of, I'm sorry, the day of the wish. She was not doing well at all. And we did not know how to handle that. What do you do? Do you offer a wish or do you let the family just leave the reality of what was going on? So we figured we needed to ask the mom what she felt would be better for her daughter. And the mom said, I want to do the wish. And at that point, we decided we had the Disney characters and Frozen characters and a Disney cake. We decided to bring all that to the home so they wouldn't have to go anywhere. And no guest, just the immediate family because of pandemic um, conditions. Um, and it worked out great. We have beautiful pictures and videos. And we had sent Sophia princess dresses. And mom had said she loves um, a tent of a princess. And the tent arrived a few days before. So since she got home from the hospital, she got to sleep in that tent. So she got a wish and she passed away about five days after. Wow. And we felt so good about having been able to grant Sophia her wish and to leave the family with all the memories that that wish brought. Because when you give a wish to a kid, you involve the whole family. And we heard that from so many parents that, you give them something to concentrate on despite of the difficulties that they're going through. And in this case, I can't even imagine what, what it's like to lose a child, but to also have the memory that she had her wish and that she was smiling through that day and that she got to be with the whole family. And that evening, they had arranged for family and friends to do a parade with cars. So after the wish was finished, they had the parade of cars. So it, it looked like it was um, a very special day for all of them. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you do a wish, you involve the whole community. I know that the people that prepare the cake and the characters that were there, they felt the impact that they were having too because it's it's the involvement in a wish that goes beyond the family and the, and the wish kid i had a wish kid who wanted a fish tank in a room she was in a wheelchair and she spent a lot of time in a room she wanted to have a fish tank so we went and found a local pet store that had uh, fish tanks and fish and we always try to involve people to do things for the wish kid and this was a local store in the neighborhood where this kid lived and the owner said to me I'm gonna when I close the store on such and such a day you can bring her in nobody will be in the store but her family and me and she can choose with patience what she wants and I said and how do you install a fish tank? I have no idea how to do that. He said, on my day off, I'm going to go and do that. Wow. So he did that. And then I went to Bed Bath & Beyond because at the time, 
they had come out with these towels with all these fishes and these glasses uh, to put your toothbrushes that had fishes on the bottom. So you always try to see if you can get donations from different companies. So I asked to talk to the manager, explained that I was doing a wish. He took me aside, he opened his wallet, and he took a picture. And he started tearing up and he said, this is my child. And it was a wish child. And I've never forgotten that. And you can pick anything from the store that you want for this wish. Bed Bath & Beyond is not paying for it. I'm paying for it. So when you're ready, you go to the register, call me, and I'm paying for it with my credit card. Wow. So a simple wish of a fish tank involved the pet store, the owner, Bed Bath & Beyond. And then we had a party at an aquarium. We decided to do a party for the girl and have her invite five friends. So we went to the Norwalk Aquarium. The girl drove in style in a limo with her family. Somebody gave them a tour of the aquarium. Then we ordered pizza and we had a Finding Nemo cake. And the guy who did the tour guide joined us for the pizza party. And he said, I saw him. He was counting how many kids were there. He said, I'll be right back. He went to the gift shop and he bought one stuffed animal for each one of the kids that came to the party. And he said, I want to feel like I did something for this wish too. Unbelievable. So I think, I don't think people realize that when you're working for Make-A-Wish, which I think it's an amazing organization because your mission could not be more crucial to the joy, hope, and strength that you give, not just the kid, but the family. And this one experience that I talked to you about one wish happens to me all the time when I do wishes. And then I come home and I tell my family and friends and the reaction that people have, it's, it's amazing. So I just want to emphasize that you don't just do a wish. If you're a wish grantor, you, you're not just impacting that one child and their family, but you're also impacting a whole community. And, and you touched upon so many things there, you know, with the community involvement, you know, with people, unsung heroes, anonymous people that, you know, are not on paper anywhere on the wish, but somehow contributed towards that wish in a really impactful way. Um, I'm sure there are some of those kids that probably are still holding on to those stuffed animals and they don't know who gave it to them. They just know that it was from that wish experience. And I think that's the magic of what Make-A-Wish is able to provide because we offer opportunities to members of the entire community throughout the eight counties that we serve and beyond to get involved in whatever capacity they can. And many times they are behind the scenes. Many times the families, they don't know who those people or who those donors or supporters are. And what we're hoping is that with this podcast, we are able to continue to shine light on those people. You know, you guys as volunteers, you're the face of the organization to the family. But there's a whole village of people behind you that are supporting you um, in that process. And it's truly a collective effort um, of the entire community together that creates these life-changing wishes for these kids. And, you know, you mentioned something because I don't want to... I don't want to just kind of gloss over it because it is a reality of what we deal with on a day to day, which is when we have volunteers that are working on wishes, whether it's a rush wish or not, and the child does pass away, 
you know, sometimes the child passes away during the wish process, so they may not be able to have a wish, or sometimes the child passes away, like in Sophia's case, you know, a few days after her wish. Um, but then also we have, we hear stories all the time of sometimes kids that had their wishes granted and years later, we find out that they passed away. How do you handle that and move forward? Um, you know, knowing that at times there are kids that may not make it, um, you know, you kind of talked about it with knowing that you were able to provide positive memories for a family, through, you know, that they always will have as a keepsake of that, of that wish, you know, but how do you handle it? Because you've had, you know, a few children that have passed away over the years that you've worked on directly, right? Well, I've been lucky that way. You know, I've done, I'm on my 38th wish. And from what I know, I haven't heard because you said, as you said, we don't know what happens after. But from what I know, um, this was my third child that passed away. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get to meet her in person, uh, but I felt like I did. And I'll tell you why, because she's the age of my youngest granddaughter. And it was very, very painful, very mm -hmm. hard. I could connect with the mom. Um, I also felt the girl's pain because she, she looked uncomfortable. And it made me really sad to see what she was going through. And I think what happens is these kids go through major medical life-threatening diseases. And they face things that we as adults may have never faced before. But it also gives you strength because I visited wish kids in the hospital. I've done wish visits in the hospital and feeling that that would lift up the kids' spirits while you present them with the idea of getting a wish. And I remember once having to have a complicated dental work and I was so scared. And as I'm sitting in the chair, I'm thinking, I have to think of my wish kids because they go through so much tougher things that I'm going right now. And I, I gain strength from them. So it's, very, it's a very sad loss when you lose a wish child because you feel like you're there to bring them something so amazing. And you hope that this will carry them forever in a memory that will cherish him. And you don't expect a child to pass away. And it, it's, very, it's a very difficult thing to, to go through. But then you think I was in a position of giving something to this child that I never met. And yet I got a window into her life at a point that nothing else mattered, nothing else. All the family wanted was have time with her and make her as comfortable as possible. And when you get that gift to penetrate that moment with something that is so amazing as a wish and a reason to smile in, in the middle of all this horrible pain and suffering, you realize that you're in a very special position. Another kid that passed away, I visited him in the hospital. He was waiting for a bone marrow transplant. We did one, one visit, and he was living with a brother. He was a teenager, and he, his parents didn't live in this country. He was living with his brother, and his brother was totally overwhelmed and trying to be supportive. And we felt that we brought 
again, a moment of hope at a very difficult time and, and also support. You know, a lot of these families don't have any families here. So you become, for that short period of time that you do the wish, you become like a family to them. And we never got to grant him the wish, but we went to his wake. And, you know, now with the pandemic, we couldn't do that for Sophia. But when we went to the wake, the brother felt so supported that even though we had met our wish kid only once, that we were there, not just at the moment to grant the wish, but at the loss of him, we became, we represented to him the same organization that was willing to give him a gift, a wish. So I think that's really important to remember also, that even if your wish kid passes away, which of course nobody wants, and nobody wants to experience that, you have to remember that you were given the opportunity to, to just be present at a moment that you will give the family and the wish kid something that otherwise they would have never gotten. That is so true, Vivian. And, and that's actually one of the reasons why at our chapter, we really make sure that we vet out the volunteers that will be trained as wish granny volunteers, because it is a very important role that they're filling. And, and most of the time when people think of Make-A-Wish, they only think of wish granters and they only sometimes see the end result, which is the wish. But all those layers that we talked about earlier that takes place with regards to getting the paperwork and identifying what the wish is, that's one part. Then you have the whole thing that happens afterwards, which is now the wish is going to be unfolding, it's going to happen, and then you have potentially kids that you know may pass away you know afterwards. I mean, this is stuff that people aren't thinking about sometimes when they are interested in becoming wish granters. That you know, this is the reality. You know, this is what we're you what you may have to deal with at some point. I would like to share one of my stories that really touched me with with a kid that passed away that I worked on on their wish. You know, this was a kid that lived in Yonkers, and you know, his wish was. Um, was to go to Disney World. You know, you know Disney World as well as I do. They're pretty, you know, they're very nicely packaged wishes. You know, kids have an amazing time. There's so many vendors and partners that really help make those wishes great. Um, and he had an amazing wish. He was ill, but he there was nothing, there was not a rush wish. It wasn't anything, you know, out of what we would normally consider, you know, a Disney wish. So soon, uh, maybe like a month after he, he his wish was granted, I just get this random, you know, uh, call from from the mom. And you, as and for those that may not know that are listening to this podcast, you know, families we give them our our personal cell phone numbers, sometimes our work numbers, whatever the best contact number is to communicate with them. You know, that's what we're giving them. And usually, after the wish is granted, you know, our goal is to just kind of start passing, transitioning from us being as wish granters, being their point of contact to then someone at the office being their point of contact so that then we can kind of have some closure in a sense of the wish. You know, we're able to then have that boundary and then move on to the next wish or a next event or next thing. But in this particular case, this family just out of the blue called me up and she told me that he, you know, was fine. And then from one day to the other, he just, things happened and he just passed like that quickly. And I was like, but we just granted his wish like a month ago. I mean, he had an amazing time, but what touched me the most about, you know, the whole experience of talking with the mom is that this family wanted to have a representative of Make-A-Wish there at the wake. 
And, you know, obviously being their wish granter, I was the one they called because I was the only person they knew. So I, of course, said, absolutely, I will be there. And one of the things that our chapter does that for those that are listening, you know, when a child passes away, we always send the family something on behalf of the, the chapter, as well as the volunteers that worked on the wish. And in the past, we used to send memory boxes. Now we send little keep little um, forget me not seeds that are planted in memory of the child that passed. So in this particular case, it was a few years back, it was we still had those memory boxes. And it was in the memory box. We would usually print out some photos that if we have them of the wish um, with, a, with a, a note from everyone on staff. And so I had the honor to represent the chapter at the wake. And um, when I went to the wake and I saw the mom, huge smile. On, you, you would think this, she's getting ready to bury her child. She had this huge smile and was, we're so happy you're here. You know, you, you know Make-A-Wish was such an important part of, of, of his life, you know, and even though he's gone, but he has so much fun on his wish. It was almost the complete opposite of what you would think at a wake. This was uplifting. This was inspiring. And then what kind of, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of things, but what kind of messed me up was, you know, seeing her then me giving her the, the memory box. She took the memory box and actually put it inside his coffin. Um, and, and she was like, you know, it was, this was such a, this was the happiest we had ever seen him. So we want him to take these memories with him. And it was like, at that point, forget about it. <laughs> like I was, I was, I was done. And, um, and this is the power of a wish, yeah, you know, that in, in, this is what, you know, make wish is about is providing these amazing, powerful moments for a family. And it not just be in that moment, but something that carries them through these difficult times and afterwards and they always have those those memories to go back to and so you know this i i wanted to share that because it's one of those things that sometimes people that are in the community that want to volunteer they 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 think it's all you know doom and gloom or they think it's all sad and there are moments that are sad moments that are challenging but they're also but the things that outweigh it more are positive moments happy moments smiles laughter you know when we're able to you know, after the pandemic, hugs or, you know, high fives. These are things that happen all the time on visits and uh, that, that have to do with wishes. And, you know, this is the stuff that we focus on as an organization is the, the hope that, like you said, the hope that it's able to bring a family, the strength that it gives the child and the overall joy that everyone receives as a result of getting these wishes. And, you know, one of the, the one that that's one of those things that you know, if anything, people can take away from these podcast episodes is that, you know, you as a community member have the opportunity to impact the life in a way that you may, that you may not even understand the, how it ripple, uh, the ripple effect of that, right? Absolutely. And I think also a lot of people think that most kids that are referred to make a wish are kids that are rush wishes, that they're not yes. going to make it. And I remember one of the many volunteer lunches that they had where they had special guests, you were a guest as a wish kid. You came to talk about your experience as a wish kid. This is way before you started working for Make-A-Wish. And it was a snowy day. You, I remember <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't even know if you would make it there. You know, We wait, kept waiting and there you were and you told us your experience. And Every time you hear somebody gone through tough times and what the wish does for them, 
it's incredible. And you get so excited about that. And I felt, I think you were probably the first grown-up wish kid that I had met. And I felt so positive about it because I thought, this is really giving the message that people do survive these things. And then you started working for Make-A-Wish. And around that time, I think, started the alumni group. Um, and now that group is growing. Um, I've even mentioned it to kids, you know, if at some point you want to continue your involvement, there is this alumni group. Because I think the message should be out there. Yeah, there are kids that pass away because they're, they're going through really tough times. But there are many, many kids who make it through and they're fine. And, and they have their wishes to be a part of their lives forever. 100%. You know, uh, the, the great thing about this podcast is that I've been able to reconnect with a lot of the WISH alum that have stayed connected to the chapter. And, you know, I had a call yesterday with a WISH alum who was also part of the alumni committee. He actually was part of the first meeting. I wasn't there for the first meeting. I was there maybe for the from the fourth on, but he was part of the, the first, first ones. And, you know, we were just kind of swapping stories of how it was back then and, and, and how it, it's still a challenge for us as an organization to remind the public that not every child that is is referred to make a wish is terminally ill yeah. you know it that it is for children that are living with you know critical illnesses some of them you know are are difficult and and some of them may become terminal in certain cases but the majority of the kids that are referred to us you know do go on and live very quote unquote normal and fruitful lives afterwards you know yeah. he was an example of someone that as also a young adult recently got married you know, we have, I, you know, we have other alum like myself that are married, have children, you know, and, you know, and there's some cases that we have some alum that have children that also, you know, because there may be a genetic disorder that they have, then they, the child may also receive a wish. So we have multi-generational wishes within an immediate family. We hear stories like that all the time. And thankfully, now we have a platform that we can showcase them and, and share them out because we know them internally, but no one else really hears these stories. And that's why we wanted to do this podcast is to share more of this stuff. And one of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about was, you know, we talked about it earlier was, you know, when you team up with partners and you've had some amazing partners over the years that you've paired up with. And I definitely want to give some time to talk a little bit about Sue. Now, Sue was one of your, I feel like one of your best friends that worked on wishes with you. And, you know, she worked on wishes all the way until her last day, pretty much, right? And you knew her from a prior life, even before Make-A-Wish, right? Right, right. So we, she didn't speak Spanish, but it was so natural. We would get to a visit, you know, I would make the initial contact with the parents because most of the parents didn't speak English. So I would make the initial call. She was very available. We would make the call. She would go directly to the kid. She had such a connection and ease to talk to the kid while I was talking to the family. We would plan the wish together. And every wish that I did with her was worked like we were really in sync. And I think the most memorable wish that we did together was because of the significance of the wish. There was this kid in Pickskill, Ryan, whose wish was to have his tuition paid in school. Why? Because he had had a kidney transplant from his mom. So the previous year, his mom was out of work for a long time, 
he did not miss one day of school until the surgery. He had perfect attendance. He was going to a Catholic school. And he knew that the parents didn't have the money to pay for his tuition for the next year. And he wanted to finish fifth grade in that school before he went to the middle school, the public school. And we were not sure that that wish could be granted, but we discussed it with Make-A-Wish and they said they could. They wanted to make sure that the kid was not saying something that really wasn't his wish. So they invited him to the wish house. You were part of the interview process of Brian. And yes, that's what he wanted. And Sharon, the wish coordinator, decided that besides the tuition, we would give him all the school supplies that a fifth grader needs. So she went online, she ordered everything that he would need, notebooks and all kinds of things. And when we brought those things home, including a winter jacket, because he didn't have a winter jacket, and it would be a struggle for the parents to even afford that. That's the other thing that people sometimes don't think about is that make a wish. Besides doing the wish, you're, you're giving a comfort in an area that it's unreachable for some families. They, they would never be able to do what Make-A-Wish is giving them. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we brought that in and we told them he was opening boxes and he was like in disbelief. And he kept saying, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to do this. Like he felt it was... We went way over what he was asking. And when we said, you're getting your tuition paid, he started crying. And he was a fourth grader. And this meant so much to him. And I'm not saying that going to Disney doesn't mean much to a kid or anything else. So I had a kid, you know, one of my most proud moments was that one of my wish kids went to visit Obama. He was the first Hispanic kid to visit Obama. Yes. And that was an amazing experience. But this, this wish in particular, because of what he wanted, really shows you that a wish doesn't have to be something, I don't know, something that is just fun. For him, it was so meaningful, so meaningful. And years later, I was at a store and this lady comes over to me and she says, Vivian? And I said, yeah. And she was there with a guy who was taller than her. And she said, do you remember Brian? And it was Brian, Brian, the fourth grader, who was now in high school. Wow. And he recognized me. And he told his mom, that's my wish lady. So they came over to say hello, and I was so happy to see him. And he said, I never forgot what you did for me. Isn't that amazing how you can just years later bump into one of your former wish kids, unrecognizable because obviously they're a lot older, yeah. and, um, and that happens. And I think that's one of the unique things about Make-A-Wish is that, you know, our volunteers are in the community that they are providing these experiences for and are the, the kids. And so you're going to bump into families potentially in the post office at the supermarket, especially if you're living in a similar, you know, area, you know, within a certain mile radius. Um, so that's amazing that you were able to, yeah. you know, reconnect in that way. So, so randomly, but yet 
leaving you with such an impact, right? But Sue also said to me, you know, I would have never thought to work with Hispanic families because I don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I would have never learned so much that there was to learn about the experience because even though I want to say, even if you get a partner who doesn't speak English, who is Spanish, the experience for them is still the experience. You don't need to speak the language to understand an experience. And you absorb what's going on and, and you live the experience. So one summer, we did eight wishes together, which I still cannot believe we did. We worked, on, <laughs> we worked and granted eight wishes. Unbelievable. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, had, I was lucky to have a lot of wonderful partners. I think I did most wishes with Sue um, because she was very good to work with and available. And when she passed away, it was a terrible, terrible loss. And you took some time off, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's something to share also with those that are listening is that when, you know, there is a loss of a wish child, um, or, you know, in this particular case, we have a volunteer that, um, that passes away that you were a partner with, you know, we always ensure that we offer the volunteer a sabbatical of some kind, you know, whatever amount of time you need to grieve the loss. Um, Some people like to get right back into it. Some people need the, the break. Um, and you took a break. And I think that's important to know is that that's always an option. And it's and if it needed, you take it. But I think I was also very concerned about pairing up with a new volunteer and seeing how that because it was so natural at this point working with Sue, that I wasn't sure how it was going to work. But I was really, really lucky. Um, I think you gave me the option to choose who I wanted to work with. And that was very helpful because mm-hmm. I had connected with a couple of people at different activities and you immediately know if you have chemistry with somebody or not and it worked for me. And, you know, I appreciated that, that I was given that choice. That's great. And I'm happy you say that because, you know, that also touches upon something else that we haven't talked about, which, which is we've spent this entire conversation talking about wishes, which are great. um, And all your experiences volunteering that way, but you also volunteer at events so, you know, you just mentioned that you worked at an event in the community and you connected with another Spanish speaking volunteer that was there. And then eventually they became trained as a wish granting volunteer. So to put it in perspective, for those that are listening and aren't familiar with the volunteer process, when you first become a volunteer, you're completing an application. You then attend an orientation. And then we at our chapter here at the Hudson Valley, we encourage all those volunteers to then start working at some community events, get to know how we operate as an office, get to see kind of another side of Make-A-Wish by helping out at community events. And then for those volunteers that have expressed interest or, you know, to us are kind of on our radar to be trained as wish grinders, we then invite them to become a trained wish grinder. And the way that process works is we offer them the invitation. We then have a phone interview with that volunteer. So this goes back to what we talked about earlier with vetting out the volunteers to make sure it's the best fit for them as well as for us. And then once we've kind of narrowed down the list from all those phone interviews, we then invite those volunteers to attend a wish grinder training. And a wish grinder training is a full day training, usually from like 10 to four, where we go through a variety of different things from wish types to enhancement ideas to how to work with uh, challenging wishes, you know, and uh, how to complete paperwork and all the stuff that is involved with granting wishes. So it's a full day training. Then 
once you're trained as a wish granting volunteer for your first few wishes, we partner those volunteer, those wish granting volunteers with mentor volunteers that are working on wishes. So you also are a wish granting mentor. So you take newly trained wish granters under your wing and you kind of show them the ropes in a sense. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're doing all the work, but you are kind of monitoring, monitoring what they're doing and making sure that it is a collaborative effort. You know, like you said, sometimes you go into the home and one is focusing more on the child or the other one is focusing more on the parents. One is maybe focusing more on the paperwork. The other one's focusing more on the enhancements. So there's definitely some chemistry, as you mentioned, that is needed in order to kind of work through those things and make it be as smooth and seamless as possible. Now, one of the next things we're going to talk about now, Vivian, is going to be our shooting star segment. So this is a series of questions where you say the first thing that comes to mind. Sound like okay. a plan? Okay. All right. So you've shared a lot of different memories about Make-A-Wish. What is your favorite Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley memory? I think when I was able to grant a wish to a kid that I worked for three years and two wishes didn't work out for whatever reason. And a third wish looked like it wasn't going to happen because he wanted to meet Senator Obama, who ended up being President Obama. And that worked. And it's not just the wish itself. But after they got back to the hotel, the mom called me and she said, I want to put Kenneth on the phone. And Kenneth got on the phone and he said, Muchas gracias, muchas gracias, muchas gracias. I can still hear him because that's what he wanted to do. And to me, it meant so much that he got his wish. There's a great picture. And our president CEO, Tom, always mentions it where you see the dad in the background wiping his tears, you know, and it's one of the most touching things um, that, that, has, that we always see, you know, but most people don't is, you know, you see the wish happen, but then you also look at the parents behind behind the child and they're usually wiping tears off their face. And so we'll make sure to, to link it in the show notes okay. so that people can, can appreciate that picture as well. Um, now, next question. What advice would you give to someone from the community who is interested in volunteering at, or maybe looking at a way to donate to a local charity? What would you tell them about Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley and why choosing us as a charity for them? I think it's one of the most honest organizations in what their mission is and what they actually do. I, I've done a lot of volunteer work and I've had a lot of wonderful experiences, but you cannot see many times the work that happens because it's not as obvious. I think in Make-A-Wish, first of all, everyone is so excited about granting wishes and, and seeing a wish come true. And what always surprises me about Make-A-Wish, I know you guys work very closely with each other, but if you talk to one of you about something, the other one knows about it too. So it, it's a place where there is a lot of communication. I think that's really key in an organization. You cannot work in an organization where this department is doing one thing and the other department is doing something. You guys, I don't know how you do it because you do so much work, but you know what's going on there. Everybody knows what's going on there. And that amazes me. Besides the fact that the actual wish granting does what it does to a kid and to a family. So I think the organization itself is so valuable. That's amazing. 
And, and thank you for sharing that because we do try really hard to ensure that everyone's kept in the loop and that we you know, are communicating because we find, and, and, and all volunteers would agree, you know, this work is very important. This is not fluffy stuff. This is important work that needs to be done to provide hope. And we've talked about it in depth in this call, in this episode today is, you know, how impactful the experience of a wish is for the, everyone involved. And I'll tell you, as a wish grantor, as part of Make-A-Wish, I'm so proud of to be part of Make-A-Wish. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you're made to be, feel a part of it. Like you really count. And that's a lot of organizations don't take the time to make the volunteers feel that way. You know, they, they appreciate you. But here you're such a big part of it that it's, like I said before, it's life-changing. What would you tell those that are listening to this podcast and maybe are getting their first taste of Make-A-Wish through your words? You know, what would you share with them about, about our 35th anniversary as a chapter? What would you tell them in, in how they can get involved, you know, and how they can um, make an impact in their own way? You know, what would you share with those donors that maybe are, are considering giving to us? What would you tell them? What I would say is it's an organization that does make a difference. And your money, your time, your interest, whatever it is that you want to contribute will make a difference. Because it does. It does. That's the reality of it. And that's the beauty of it. It does not get lost. Anything that you do for Make-A-Wish. And, you know, there's a closet with donations that sometimes we go and look for gifts to bring to the kids when we make the first visit. And when the labels and everything is organized, well, somebody did that. Somebody took the time to do that. And, you know, all the things to the big things. Some people are afraid that, oh, wish granted, you know, I don't feel comfortable going to somebody's home. Well, you don't even think about that because what you're doing is so much more important than just making a visit. And what you're, the message that you're bringing with you, it, it's so unique and so important. And I also want to stress how much you get out of it. It's not just what the family gets, but what you get out of it. You know, when you, you do the initial visit, then you do a second visit to bring the itinerary if it's a trip or the program or whatever the event is going to be. And one of my favorite parts is when you come after the wish to find out how it went. Mm-hmm. Because then you get the kid and the family to tell you in their own words what it was like. And I think that is amazing to be a part of. It's like you're in a concert sitting in the first row with, with the best orchestra in the world telling you the best story in the world. That's how it feels like to me. Unbelievable. And that's a great way and a great place to end this episode. You know, our special thanks go out to our guest today, Vivian, for joining us. To our listeners, remember, you can always refer to our show notes for additional information about the topics we discussed today. And we also invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Let us know how we're doing and any questions you may want to add to our Shooting Stars segment. We're always open to hearing what you guys have to say. Special thanks to our executive producers for the Wish House podcast, Jillian Rodriguez and Sydney Wolf, for helping me put the podcast together. Couldn't do it without their collaboration. And finally, from all of us here at the Wish House, thank you for joining us. Stay safe and stay healthy.